Amen, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, this has been such a wonderful blessing, tremendous, but you know what? There's more. And our heart is open. We're ready to receive what God has for us tonight, and it's going to be good, it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be just what you need. Amen. So would you, before you're seated, welcome to the platform, Dr. Jim Willoughby. Turn around. Hey, before you sit down, turn around. Shake hands with four or five people. Hug their neck. Amen. Slap a high five. Tell them you're glad to see them tonight. Praise God. Don't, don't choke her to death, Mike. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It, it, uh, it has been a real joy to be here at New Life Family Worship Center and in the Southeast region. Uh, I think it was this morning that Pastor Bob said that they have three of the seven trustees that live in the southeast region. And uh, now you're about to have four that live in the southeast region. And uh, so my wife and I, we just bought a house in northern Alabama. Roll Tide! Man. Can't even root for the USC Trojans anymore, man. Hogs are only good for eating, brother. Uh, anyway, and so uh, we are, we'll be kind of splitting time between Tennessee and northern Alabama, and uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a new season and a new chapter, but uh, we're looking forward to being, uh, I never dreamed, Pastor Rick, I would be an Alabama property owner. I never thought you'd leave California. Well, it's a mission field. I've noticed that, yeah. And uh, no, I mean, I've, I've been in California for 50 years almost 60 years uh, so uh, it is a it's a new adventure but I, I will tell you Mike I found out and, and I went out a, I bought me a boat last week because they told me if you don't own a truck a boat and a gun they take your man card away from you So, yeah, so, uh, so I think I'm safe now, you know. But anyway, it, it is a joy to be down here with Pastor Bob, our first time being with you in Punta Gorda. And uh, what a beautiful facility and a beautiful, man, southeast region. You guys are awesome. And uh, we love ICFM, don't we? We do. Amen. You're kind of new to it, but amen. 
Yes. Very beginning. Okay, I have something really important to say. Say it. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, when Nid was talking about, um, you know, how it's a storehouse and how we can get encouragement from one another, one of the things that, you know, when uh, Jim uh, took on the presidency again and uh, I was like, oh, man, what does that make me? Now am I going to have to do a whole bunch of stuff, you know, because now I'm like the first lady. I, and I, uh, anyway, well, I, I didn't. First lady uh, can. The queen consort. Corns consort. consort. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just the consort. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you know, it was really interesting. We have such a wonderful group here. I have felt at home from the very first time I ever went, and uh, I was raised in old time Pentecost. I come from an Assembly of God background, like probably some of you, and my dad was a preacher, my grandpa was a preacher, a tent revival preacher, and so, uh, you know, we have a lot of, like, similar history growing up, and, uh, and so the first time I came to ICFM was really funny, it was before we were married, and so I came and I sat on the front row, and he was, you know, making, he's like, if you don't like ICFM, you're not going to like me, and so anyway, I came to visit and the first thing that happened that made me feel at home was the altar call. And people laying on the floor, and somebody handed me some blue towels to put over top of them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> but anyway, you know, the wonderful thing about um, it is that it's such a different, we have such a different blend of, of people in ICFM. I love it. I love the, the um, uniqueness, I love the versatility of everyone that we come in contact with. I love the fact that we have women pastors. I love the fact that we have men pastors. I just love the women fact trustees. that we are all women trustees. We are all, we are all sons and daughters of God and we're all ministers and we're all life-giving spirits. That's our assignment, to be that life-giving spirit. And when I was asking the Lord, well, how do I fit into this? And is there something that I could do that would really be beneficial? And so, uh, you know, I, I just, the idea and thought came into mind to do a, a Zoom type meeting and uh, just a sort of a, an encouragement, fun um, meeting for all of the women, whether they're pastors, whether they're not pastors, whether they're, you know, whatever role you play in ministry with your family and in your church, for the women of ICFM, I, I wanted to create something that would be a safe place, something would be a place that we could gather together in between conference times, whether we're on this side of the country or that side of the country, a place that we could share our heart, a place that we could kill sacred cows, um, a place that we could tackle subjects and topics that maybe nobody else wants to talk about because being raised in the ministry, um, I, I'm not a typical PK, I don't think. I, I bucked against the system, and, uh, you know, I fought the Lord for a long time. But one of the things I learned was we had a lot of sacred cows, and that we learned a lot of things that really weren't word-based. They really weren't in there. And uh, we, we listened, and we didn't study for ourselves enough, and so we had to unlearn a lot of things. And so one of the things that I felt really strongly about was we need to talk about things that we don't talk about. And if you understand what I'm saying, we need to talk about depression in the church, depression in pastors' families. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about narcissism in the church. We need to talk about busyness. 
We need to talk about a lot of things that have been a part of our church life that we weren't taught either in Bible school or growing up in a pastor's home or uh, whatever. So we started a Zoom call, and everyone is welcome. We tried our best to put it at a time when the bulk of people were able to join us, and I know not everybody can make it every time. So one of the things we did was set it, uh, we, we record them, and we have archives. And so if you're unable to make it, you can go back. And this is for uh, the women uh, members only, so it's not like anybody can log in and listen if you share on this thing. This is a safe place. This is for us to let our hair down. This is for us to be real with each other because I need you and you need me. And so that's what we've tried to create here. And um, I would love to just ask you to, to consider joining us. Come be a part of it. Come and be a part. I need what you have to offer when we get together, and I think you need what I have to offer. We all need each other. And so um, we, we do it on Tuesdays. Normally, Normally today, right it would now. be going on right now, but because I'm here, and Pastor Brenda Wood, how many of you know Pastor Brenda Wood? She's crazy, like <laughs> me, and so we have a good time together, <laughs> and, uh, and she's my co-host and so together, uh, we decided to change this month because the Southwest Regional is next week and Southeast was this week. And so I'm going to Southwest next week. So Brenda and I will do it live together from Southwest uh, Regional next week. So we're going to do it next Tuesday. We're changing the time by 30 minutes just because of the conference schedule. So 4.30 next Tuesday. Please join us if you can. 7.30 here. Sorry. Yep. That's Eastern time, uh, Western time there. Central. No. What is Pacific. that? Pacific. We have a specific ocean over there. Anyway, get it right. Right time. Um, and this this month, oh, it's called the the program is called something to talk about. And uh, yeah, let's give them something to talk about. Yeah, she just likes the song. So anyway, <laughs> this month our topic is going to be mind your own business. And um, well, well that's our title, that. not our topic. Our title is mind your own business, and our topic is on boundaries. We're going to talk about boundaries and how some of us have a hard time setting boundaries. We don't even know how. And some of us set boundaries and people just trample right over them. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about boundaries in our homes, our, our, our pastor's homes or our homes, our ministry homes. We'll talk about boundaries in the church. And we do need some input. And we need you guys to, to join with us. And we're just, we share back and forth. And we're interactive. And uh, we just have a good time. So welcome to something to talk about. And I hope to see you. You can take that back with you. And I uh, encourage you to make plans to join us in Fort Worth, Texas next June. Uh, I believe it's 24, 5, 6, and 7. Uh, I might be off by one by a day, but it's that last, uh, that last full week of June. And for our international convention, it is always a highlight and... Uh, so how many of you have ever been to one of the international conventions? Raise your hand. All right, almost all of you. And I know we've got a couple of new members in here. So make plans to join us next year, 2023, in Fort Worth, Texas, for the ICFM International Convention. You know, ICFM uh, began in 1978. Uh, a group of 17 men gathered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for the purpose of discussing creating a minister fellowship for ministers of like precious faith. In the late 70s, a lot of ministers were coming out of denominations. 
uh, as Storm, in fact, Stormy's grandfather uh, started the first Assembly of God church in the state of Arizona. He introduced the Assemblies of God to the state of Arizona and back in the 30s. And uh, so a lot of people were coming out of the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, the Foursquare, other denominations with no place to go. And so ICFM was launched and some of the original founding trustees were men like Kenneth E. Hagan, Buddy Harrison, Frederick Casey Price, Kenneth Copeland, Jerry Seville, John Osteen, Charles Capps, uh, to name a few. And here we are some 45 years later and we're still going. And we've got uh, members in about 15 different nations of this world. Uh, we've got uh, a little over 400 members in the United States. Uh, we grew about 13% last year. And so ICFM is a ministerial fellowship. We're also a group that provides licensing and ordination to ministers. And we are an ecclesiastical endorser for military chaplains. And so if you feel called to be a chaplain in the military, you have to have an ecclesiastical endorser. And ICFM is recognized as uh, an ecclesiastical endorser. We have a couple of chaplains that are members. So ICFM is a fellowship for ministers of like precious faith. And I love what Pastor Datha said because I think that is, is so critical. And as uh, Pastor Nid said, we are, you know, man, I remember, oh my, let's see, 20 close to 20 years ago, I think now, uh, when we were actually sitting at an ICFM convention and our youngest daughter called, uh, was right at the end, the last day of the convention, and she called crying out for help. Said, I'm addicted to drugs and I need help. And so we left the convention going home to that. We got home. Uh, she was ready to get help, willing to go into a rehab program. We found a rehab program in Long Beach, California. We took her down. We checked her into the rehab program. And I remember them telling us we could not see her or talk to her for two weeks. And I walked out of that place feeling like the biggest failure in the world, Bob. I'm a pastor. And my daughter is hooked on drugs, and I just checked her in to a rehab, and I can't even see her for or talk to her for the next two weeks. And I felt like, man, you ain't got no business up trying to teach people. You know, now she was an adult. She had made decisions, you know, that were wrong decisions, you know, and it was other young ladies in the church that had introduced her. To, to drugs. and But I remember we walked out of there and we were like feeling down. And we got in the car, we took off, hadn't drove two blocks, and my cell phone rang. I said, hello. It was an ICFM member. Said, I don't know what's going on, but God just told me to call you and tell you everything's going to be all right. Amen. 
And there's been so many things like that that I could tell you about again and again and again and again. Uh, that, you know, and, and many of you uh, were there five years ago when Irita left planet Earth for heaven unexpectedly. And, uh, man, you, it's just, I can't tell you how much ICFM means to me and has been there to help me through difficult times. So if you're not a part of it, see uh, Pastor Bob or see one of these other ministers, find out how, and make plans to be with us come June of 2023. Amen? Yes. Praise God. You know, I, I heard about this couple that was celebrating their 40th anniversary. And so they had come back to Florida where they had spent their honeymoon 40 years ago. They checked into the same hotel. They were able to get the same room they had 40 years ago. And they're sitting on the couch kind of reminiscing. And he lays his head over on his wife's lap. She reaches down. She takes his glasses off. She's rubbing his head said, honey, you know, without your glasses on, you look just like you did 40 years ago. He looked up at her and said, you know, honey, without my glasses on, you look just like you did 40 years ago. <laughs> Moving right along. Amen. You know, we've had, we've had a great time today, and man, uh, Daniel, that, that, I just so enjoyed what, what you shared today, and Morgan about a foundation, and, uh, you know, foundation is so critical. Uh, if you don't put the right amount of steel, the right amount of rock, the right uh, mixture of concrete, you can build the most precious, beautiful house ever to be seen, but it's not going to stand. Amen? And then I love, Doug, you, you talking about when you worked at JC um, and, and a company men's clothing there, and when Dad Hagen came in and what God said to you about what, what did you see in the dressing room? Just an ordinary man that God had made a great man out of, you know? And you think about it. How, how many of us in here are pastors? Raise your hand if you're a pastor. Pastor or an associate pastor, okay? All right. How many of you are a traveling minister or missionary, evangelist, teacher? All right. Praise God. You know what? All of us, we have a job to help ordinary people live extraordinary lives. Ordinary people to live extraordinary lives. That, that is, that's our job. That's one of our assignments. Can you say amen? amen? And so as we look around us today, and Pastor Datha touched on it a little bit this evening, uh, the last days that we are living in. Listen, if you don't think these are the last days, well, man, Bubba, you better wake up. Because we are living in unprecedented times. I mean, on every corner we are dealing with issues we never dreamed we would deal with, especially in America. 
I remember the day that the government respected the church. The government would even help the church. The, the, the government was our friend. But that day is long gone. Amen. And if you think about where we're at today, how, and I want to talk to you about the state of the church and talk to you about the church for a little bit tonight. You think about how things really began to shift 21 years ago after 9-11. It is that after 9-11, we instituted something called the Patriot Act. The purpose of the Patriot Act was to help protect America from terrorism. But unfortunately, after 9-11 and a short time after that, they began to use the Patriot Act to spy on U.S. citizens, to investigate organizations uh, in America. And uh, the Patriot Act has really been abused greatly by our, by our government, unfortunately. And if you look at what happened following that, just a short time later, a, a global elitist mentality, it didn't just start, but it went to the forefront and became evident in our nation that there was this faction that took over the White House, took over in both houses, and put us on a fast track to socialism. And you look back over the last 20 years and you can see the, the progression of this to where we are today. We come down to 2016. Everything is in place to carry us fully into a socialist form of government. That's what open borders are all about. That's what most of the policies that we see from this administration is all about. It is about a new world order. It is about a great reset. It is about taking us down a road called socialism. And to me, I, you know, we, we have two brothers from the Ukraine that own an IT company that handle the, all the IT stuff for our ministry. And so when this began to be, be really be talked about around 2010, 2012, I remember one day uh, Paul, one of, the, one of the brothers, he's standing in the office, he says, what's wrong with you Americans? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you, all this socialism talk, we tried it, it don't work. <laughs> he says, what's wrong with you? I'm like, well, I don't know, because it doesn't work, you know. But if you look at where we are at, you look at what has transpired over the last 20 years, where we were at coming into 2016, there was a plan, everything was orchestrated, but a New York businessman messed those plans up. I mean, you think back, whether you like DJT or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, personally, some of his antics I didn't care for and don't care for. But his policies, 
He fulfilled more of his campaign promises than any other president in modern history. That is a fact. And uh, uh, he promised that he would appoint conservative, constitutional conservative judges, and he did. And because of that, we saw Roe versus Wade overturned this year. Amen. First off, it never belonged in the federal hands. It's a state issue. Amen. And so uh, all of a sudden the plan, in fact, I heard a number of the power brokers make comments like he is messing up our plans for a new world order. So these are unprecedented times that we never dreamed that we would be seeing. I mean, you look at, at what transpired from 16 uh, to 20 is that we secured our borders. We became energy independent and actually a net energy exporter. It is that the economy thrived. We had the strongest economy in modern history. We had the lowest unemployment numbers in modern history and especially for minority groups. We reformed criminal justice. We provided funding to historic black colleges. It is that so much that took place, we even got rocket man to stop shooting off missiles. Go figure. And everything that, that took place, and of course, he became the most vilified president since Richard M. Nixon. Because... There is a power that wants to destroy our way of life. And that's what 9-11 was all about. And, and that, that power is still here. But it's all part of the last days. What is it? It's evil against good. It's light against darkness. Amen? And those are the days that we are living in. Can you say amen? Now, you look at where we're at just in the last 18 months and how we've digressed. We're dealing with wokeism on every corner. Many churches that are woke churches. You look at, I could not believe how many churches were silent about R.V. Wade. And how many churches actually said, we're not making a comment because we believe it's still a woman's choice. Preachers, ministers, pastors, hello? You know, you look at, we have cancel culture everywhere you go. Critical race theory taught in our elementary schools. Gender identification crises with every age group. Last week, California passed a bill that makes California a gender sanctuary state that a child can come to California and receive gender therapy, gender hormones, even surgery without a parent's permission. Now that is only one thing in my book, evil. Evil personified. And that's the world that we are living in. 
I was, I was on a call last week with one of the, uh, one of the leading nonprofit attorneys uh, in, in our nation, and uh, we were talking about things that were going on, and, and she said, I can see the handwriting on the wall is that uh, churches and nonprofits may have to decide, are we either going to tone down our voice or are we going to give up our nonprofit status? Amen. And listen, if you think 87,000 new IRS agents are going to make our lives easier, I got a bridge for sale. Hello? It's the world we're living in. It's unprecedented times. But the church is rising up. Amen. Where sin doth abound, my grace doth much more abound. Where darkness is, the light looks brighter. Amen. And that we are living in that time that the church must rise up. Everybody say, rise up. Matthew 11, verse 12. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. And violent people are attacking it. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And listen, that's exactly what you and I are to be doing, helping the kingdom of heaven forcefully advance. Amen? Forcefully advance. Everybody say forcefully. Jesus did not leave us here to hide in a corner, stay home, watch service online, he left us here to forcefully advance the kingdom of God. Amen. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 from the NIV version. I tell you that you are Peter. You are Petros. You are a piece of the rock. And on this rock, Petra. The solid rock. Petros refers to a little piece that breaks off, but Petra refers to the giant boulder. It's like El Capitan at Yosemite. You are a piece of the rock, but on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who said that? Jesus. Was, was he just blowing smoke? Did he mean what he said? then we have the power to bind on earth and he will back us up in heaven and we have the power to loose on earth and he will back us up in heaven. Amen. Amen. And I give you the keys 
Kleis, the Greek word used there, simply means authority. I give you the authority. The authority. Could I see your keys, Rick? I could take this right here, and I could walk out to that parking lot, and I could get in your vehicle, and I could take off with it, because this gives me the authority to start it. Gives me the authority to drive it, because I have the keys. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Wow. The authority of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven has been given to us. Why? So that we can help ordinary people live extraordinary lives. Why? So that we can make a difference in this world. Why? So that we can go to places like Kenya and Tanzania and Uganda. We can go to places like Costa Rica and Guatemala. We can go to places like Haiti and Panama. And we can see the captives set free. We can see the demon possessed delivered. We can see the crippled and the lame and the blind open their eyes like Daniel was talking about. We can see signs, wonders, and miracles, but not just there, right here. The keys, the authority of the kingdom of heaven. Can you say amen? And notice what he said, I will build my church. Not a fellowship group. Not a home church. Jesus did not come to establish a home church. It is not scriptural. He came to establish an apostolic-led church, ecclesia, a gathering, an assembly. Nothing wrong with fellowship groups. Amen? But most home groups are made up of people who don't want to submit to authority. Hallelujah. We got an Arkansas boy saying roll tide. Oh. And I thought we got him delivered. You know. But, I mean, come on, that's just the way it is, man. I, I, I just call it black and white. Jesus came to create an apostolic-led church of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Amen. And, and so, as I said, nothing wrong with a fellowship group, but don't call a fellowship group a church. Amen. He said, I will build my church, my ecclesia, my called out group, my assembly. Can you say amen? So he didn't come to establish a lay person led church. He came to establish an apostolic led church. Amen. 
And, and so as we look at that, and, and listen, let me just say something to all of you that raise your hand as pastors, is that, and sometimes this is a challenge, but, but as pastors, we one of the greatest lesson, lessons I learned was to delegate. Because see, sometimes, and, and I, Doug, I have this tendency, is that I'll be the orchestra leader, then when it comes time for the cymbals, I'm going to run over there and grab the cymbals and crash, and it's going to come back time for the drum solo, and I'm going to do the drum solo, and then I'm going to go over. Hmm? Because usually pastors are D personalities. And we believe we can do it better than everybody else. Hello? And just, I'll hand it off to you, and you, the moment you just slip a little bit, I come take it back from you because I can do it. If you want to get the job done, you got to do it yourself. We can't build the church like that, folks is that I have to hand it off, and here's what I learned. I learned I have to let people make mistakes. And when they make a mistake, I, got, I don't get mad at them. I use it as a teaching time. Well, tell me, Daniel, what, what do you think went wrong with that program? What do you think went wrong with that event? And then listen to what Daniel said. Well, then, Daniel, how do you think we could make it better next time we do it? Yes, sir. <laughs> See, that's all, that's all part of delegation, you know, is that throw on the – see, here's, here's what we do. We want to be quarterback, and then we want to run out here and be wide receiver. And what happens is the devil starts beating our brains in because you can't be quarterback and wide receiver. You're the quarterback. Let the wide receivers be the wide receivers. Let the running backs be the running backs. Hand the ball off. Amen. Moving right along. But here we are at 2,000 years after he founded the church. Do you know that we have 380, uh, over 300 different denominations in America? denominations, fellowship, or church organizations. We have over 300 different denominations. There are approximately 380,000 churches in America. Now, I would venture to say, Bob, we could drive two to three miles around this church and probably find at least another dozen churches just within a two to three mile radius of this church in your city. I guarantee you, you could drive around and find 10 or 12 churches within a two or three mile radius of, of where your church is located. At least within five miles, you would find that many. 380,000 churches in America. Do you know that approximately one third of our population, over 100 million people claim Christianity as their religion in America. Jesus said on this rock, 
I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. This was the blueprint for the New Testament church. A church of power, a church of dominion, a church of authority that ruled and reigned and ushered in the kingdom of God. Now, if we go back to the beginning and we look at the beginning of the New Testament church, when it was established on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, many from there believed that it went to Antioch. And if you study the church in Antioch, they were experiencing what we would call revival. I mean, they were, they were getting saved. People were converting to, to believing on Christ, that, that just phenomenal things that were happening. So the church elders in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to check it out. Go down to Antioch, check it out. And in Acts chapter 11, it tells us that there were a great many that were taught there and that disciples were first called Christian in Antioch. And so Antioch became this, this hotbed for the message of Christ and was growing at a rapid rate. And then remember, it was a church in Antioch that sent Saul and Barnabas out. They felt that the Holy Spirit had called Saul to do something. They laid hands on him, sent him out, and that began the Apostle Paul's ministry and missionary journeys. And the gospel was taken to the known world, especially the Roman Empire. And so you look at all of these things that happen in Acts 13, verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So what did the church at Antioch, what were they doing? They were worshiping God. They were teaching the word of God. They were fasting. They were praying. They were a spirit-led church that gave place to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit had the authority to interrupt and tell them whatever the Holy Spirit wanted them to to do. What does that sound like? Sounds like what our churches ought to be or what our churches are. Amen? Praise God. And so as we look at that and we survey the landscape of the churches in America, out of these 380,000 churches, I see three different types basically of churches that we all virtually all all of will virtually fall into. And let me let me just let me just stop and do a little side a side note here. How many has ever been to the Grand Canyon? Ever been to the Grand Canyon? Raise your hand. All right. 
about maybe half of us, 40% of us. It's an amazing, amazing place. You stand on either the south rim or the north rim of the canyon, and you look out across that vast, and if you can do that and tell me there is no God, there is no hope for you. You can't look at that and say there is no God. It is just too amazing. But standing there looking at this vast canyon that is just amazing, and, and, and then right there at my feet on the rim of the canyon is this little flower that is growing, this little beautiful desert flower. And many years ago, I heard God say, whether you're pastoring Grand Canyon Christian Center or Desert Flower Christian Center, both are just as important to me. Hello? Whether your ministry is Grand Canyon ministry or your ministry is Desert Flower ministry, in the economy of God, both are just as important. Amen? Never forget that. So as we look at that, some of these are by design and some of these churches are by default. Number one, you can write this down. Here's the first type of church we find. I call it the memorial church. The memorial church. The memorial church operates under the assumption that the church's best days are in the rearview mirror. They're always looking back at the good old days. These churches are sincere. They are as sober as can be. But if you look, worship spaces are frozen in time. They probably don't do a worship song that was written past 1980. Because everything is frozen in time. Back in the good old days. Hello, various black brass plaques etched with the names of bygone donors remind us of men and women of yesteryear. The church is constantly talking about what used to be. It reflects fondly on a once-filled sanctuary, even talking about how we used to have to add extra chairs during our service. But today, it only stands as a memorial. It's become more of a museum than a church. And there's a lot of those 380,000 that fall into that category of how good it used to be. Amen. Then we move to number two. Number two is what I call the maintenance church. The maintenance church. And we find that there are many of these because they believe that things right now are as good as they will ever be. Serious changes are discouraged as trying to be someone we are not. Or we're not going to change just for change's sake. You see, a maintenance church wants to keep the congregants happy. Worship is a production, not spirit-led. Service to the community is a way to feel good about ourselves. And ministry programs help rehearse Christian values 
and keep the kids and young people from getting in trouble. Hmm? In a maintenance church, a newcomer might be accepted if they meet a certain criteria. And surface level updates like signage changes, lanyards, live streaming provide just enough freshness or novelty to ward off boredom. Too much change would jeopardize contentment. You see, the maintenance church is all about status quo. They're happy with what they have and where they're at, and they don't want to jeopardize that. Now, is that the church Jesus said he was coming to build? To build a memorial church that looks in the rearview mirror and talks about the good old days and how it used to be and the, 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 all of the events that took place 20, 30, 40 years ago? Did he come to build a, a maintenance church that just wants the status quo? Or how about let's look at number three, I call it the movement church. The movement church. Now I believe this is what we are called to be. Because this world is multiplying around us. 7.8 billion people, 330 million people. But listen to this statistic. On average, the average church adds a net 10 people or less per year. If we are life-giving, we should be doing a lot better than that. Good evening. Amen. See, I believe he's talking about the movement church in Matthew chapter 16 because the movement church is convinced that her best days are still to come. The best days of the church is in front of us, and it has an unquenchable passion for the kingdom of God and to see the kingdom of God established on earth as it is in heaven. They are passionate about spirit-led worship. They are passionate about prayer and about seeking God. They are passionate about leading people to Christ. Uh, they are passionate about what the Holy Spirit does and that He has His way in the services. Can you say amen? You see, there's always this problem of the pastor, the preacher, trying to build the church. Jesus said he would build it. We are the under-shepherds. We are just to be following his leading and listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to direct our services. Amen. I tell pastors all the time, I said, listen, just give the, nothing else, give the Holy Spirit five minutes. Amen. Listen, if you, you don't know what to do, just give the Holy Spirit five minutes and see what he does. Amen. Give him an open door. Give him an opportunity. Can you say amen? You know, what happened on the day of the birth of the New Testament church? 3,000 people in one day. 
I mean, how would you like to go from whatever numbers you are to 3,000 in that number in one day? Wow. Glory to God. That's what happened on that day. See, the movement church is never content, never satisfied. We're not satisfied. If three people get saved this Sunday, then we're going to believe God for six to get saved next Sunday. Can, can, can I tell you my most depressing time in ministry? On a Sunday morning when nobody responds to the altar call. I hate it. I walk off, I walk off the platform, Rick, and I'm like, man. Nobody responded. That sucks. <laughs> I mean it. I mean, because I just, I, number one, I want people to get saved. And number two is I, I expected my congregation to bring the unsaved. Bring their co-workers, friends, family, neighbors. Get them to church. I, I, I would listen. If you don't know how to witness and lead them to church, you just get them to church. You get them to church, I'll get them saved. And I would be bummed out, Bob, when nobody responded. And I'd pray that much harder that week. God, send people that are hurting, lost, hungry, in need. Amen. Because listen, hey, we're, we're a hospital, folks. This is not a country club. Come on, if you want a country club, there's plenty of them around town. This is a hospital. This is a place where the sick, the hurting, the lost needs to be coming to. And, and our community needs to know, listen, you're sick. You need to go over there to New Life. You need to go over there to Lighthouse. You need to go over there to Seed Church. You need to go over there, huh? Come on. You need to go over there to Restoration. You need to go over there because that place is like a hospital. People are getting healed over there. People are putting their lives together over there. Amen. That's the movement, church. It's never content. It's never satisfied. It's always looking for and believing for more. Can you say amen? It believes its best days are in front of them. Now, here's what I've seen with a lot of Christians. Anyone ever go to Disneyland? I, I used to really enjoy going there, and, and they, act, they actually banned me for three years for killing a mouse. All right, moving right along. I've met a lot of Christians who live at Disneyland. Some of them live in frontier land. Always talking about the good old days. Some live in Tomorrowland. One of these days, I'll get involved. One of these days, I'll do something for God. One of these days... I'll start tithing. One of these days, tomorrow land. 
Some of them are living in fantasy land. God's just going to take care of everything. How many of you know that's fantasy land? Hello? <laughs> they expect God to do everything for them. But listen, where should we be living? In adventure land. Because life with God is an adventure. Every day is an adventure. You ought to wake up every morning and go, oh man, what a great day. I can't wait to see what God does today. Devil, where are you at? Because I'm coming after you. Amen. An adventure. We ought to be living in adventure land. You wake up excited about God. I, I love Daniel, some of his story this morning, man, about, you know, got saved and just started, you know, telling them all about Jesus. Hallelujah. Didn't know he wasn't supposed to do it. While they're all passing the reefer around. You know, you ever hear Joyce Meyer's testimony? Yeah, you know, I mean, is that he, this, this is what we do. God save them, tell people about Jesus. Man, what happened to that excitement in most people? We get saved, we want to tell the world about Jesus. But then in six months, we're barely telling our neighborhood about Jesus. And in 12 months, we're secret agents for Jesus. <laughs> Amen? No. We are to be living in adventure land. That serving God is an adventure. Hallelujah. You know, for, for pastors, there's a point of critical mass that a lot come to, sometimes at a 20-year level, a 25-year level. They, they, they come to a place that they, they decide that to keep doing all of this is hard work. And, you know, I think we're just going to coast for a while. Listen, in the kingdom of God, there's no place for coasting. You never get anywhere great by coasting. If you're going to get there, you've got to put the pedal down. And you've got to get with the program. Amen? Listen, God didn't call us to coast into heaven. He called us to win the lost at any cost, do everything we can to tear down the gates of hell. You know, it said the gates of hell would not overcome the church. That would, I don't know about you, but gates don't move. Gates stay in one place. So when you study that scripture out, what he is saying in essence is the church is to be coming against the gates of hell and they can't prevail when we come against them. That's why I said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you say amen? And you start thinking, well, hey, we're large enough. We're, we're good enough. We're, we're well. I remember the last building that we built on our campuses that I had a pastor. A pastor, he asked me, he said, what in the world are you doing? I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Why in the world do you want to build another building? I said, because we need another building. Well, well, aren't you large enough? I said, do you have any relatives in this city that are not saved? Well, of course I do. 
I said, then we're not large enough. As long as there are unsaved people in Savannah, Georgia, Seed Church is not large enough. Amen? Amen. As long as there are unsaved people in Warrior, not big enough. Amen? See? Amen. As long as there's unsaved people in Chiefland, Lighthouse is not big enough. Let's fill it up. Let's have two services. Let's fill them up. Let's have three services. Let's fill them up. Let's have four services. If there's unsaved people out there, our job as the movement church is to be reaching them and loving them and showing them the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. Can you say amen? You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to heaven empty-handed. Man, I want to take as many people as I can. Can you say amen? But see, sometimes at this, at, at this point of critical mass is that good leaders might move. Great ministry of helps people might relocate. Things may change and it's easy to go, oh man, what am I going to do now? You're going to do the same thing you've been doing for 25 years. You're going to hit your knees and you're going to believe God, and you're going to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to tell you what to do next. Amen? And if you don't want to do that, maybe you ought to consider a new line of work. Amen? But as we look at the church in the book of Acts, you look at Antioch, which is a great example of a movement church. They were a church in motion. They, they could have easily fell into a maintenance mode, but they refused. They prayed. They fasted. They, they were led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was at work in place. What a great pattern of a movement church. And then the Holy Spirit instructed them for Saul and Barnabas to go out for a specific work. Wow. And impacted the known world. Here's the common denominator with the movement church. Change happens. Change is invariable. Amen. Change is going to happen, but there's new frontiers to conquer, new ministries to establish, new areas of outreach we can create. If there's just one person in the community who doesn't know Christ, then our work is not done. Can you say amen? And a movement church frequently finds themselves in uncomfortable situations. People calling you on the phone going, what are you folks doing down there? Huh? Amen. What's new is rarely safe and simple. It takes more faith. It takes a deeper walk with God to navigate the direction and the directive that God is giving you. 
that every day is a walk of faith, but a movement church relishes that type of life of faith. Amen? We are at a crossroads. We are at a crossroads. If you think about it, you look at all of the forces that are against us, but we keep looking at the scripture, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The media doesn't like us. Government entities don't like us. The school board might not like us. But hey, you know, that's why I love Mario Murillo's latest book, the title, Don't Go Quietly. Amen. Church, we can't go quietly. We got to raise the standard. We got to raise the voice. We've got to let our voices be heard. We've got to shout it from the rooftop. Can you say amen? We've got to forcefully advance the kingdom and not just sit around with our chips and salsa singing kumbaya. Two realms are at battle, light and darkness, evil and good. There is no middle ground. Depending upon how you participate in life, how you fulfill your calling, will either help, help heaven or hell advance its agenda in the earth. And I believe the Holy Spirit is showing us what's at stake. I've decided I'm part of that movement church. Amen. I'm going to do what the Holy Spirit says. I'm not backing down. I'm going to I'm going to let my I'm going to be the watchman on the wall. Amen. Cuz he said, "Hey, if the watchman on the wall doesn't sound the alarm, he's going to be held accountable." I don't want to be held accountable. Sound the alarm. Amen. Preach the good news. Amen. Preach the good news. Preach the good news. What is the good news? If you're sick, you don't need to be sick no more. If you're depressed, you don't need to be depressed no more. Amen. If you're broke, you don't need to be broke no more. Amen. I tried poor. I didn't like it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I enjoy having my bills paid a lot better than I did avoiding the bill collectors. Amen. Is that, hey, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to back down. I'm going to declare the good news. Jesus is Lord. Jesus will change your life. Jesus will turn it around. He will bless you. Amen. And it's not about you. It's all about him. Well, what do I have to do? All you've got to do is believe because he's already paid for everything. Amen. That's the good news. Are we going to be the movement church, the maintenance church, or the memorial church? I believe we got a room full of people that want to be the movement church. Amen. Why? Because we've got a lot to do in a short amount of time. We've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. 
Some of you will figure out where that line came over the fellowship. Can we stand together tonight? Hallelujah. The movement church, the church that is moving forward. I, I, I would like to just lay hands upon everyone that would like prayer tonight. You want to be part of this, I want to just lay hands upon you. I'm going to ask the trustees that are with us, Dr. Doug, Pastor Lisa, you would come down and join me. We want to lay hands upon you, and we want to just anoint you and believe God for greater things in your church or in your ministry, and that what God has called you to do, that in the fourth quarter of 2022, it will be the best quarter of the year. Amen? Amen? In fact, I want you to say this with me. Say, the rest of this year will be the best of this year. Say it again. The rest of this year will be the best of this year. One more time. The rest of this year will be the best of this year. Amen? That's what I'm believing for. So come forward tonight. Let's just make a line right across this front. And we're going to, hallelujah, praise God, glory to God. And listen, if the Lord gives us a word, we're going to give it to you. Amen. If he tells either one of us something about you, we're going we're gonna to tell you. And you just receive it in Jesus' name. But we're going to come and lay hands upon you and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe God that the rest of this year will be the best. That your ministry is going to move forward at an accelerated pace. Amen? Reaching more people, touching more people, seeing more victories and breakthrough in Jesus' name. Amen?